time. Welcome to Walk Church. And I want to go ahead and just set the tone for where we came from. If this is your first time joining us, or maybe you just missed last week, or maybe you're joining us online for the first time, I'm going to catch us up briefly for where, we've been, where we came from and then help us focus on where we're going to go. So if you got all that, say, I got it. Got it. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's eat. Well, Father, as we get ready to eat from your word right now, God, we know man doesn't live off bread alone. God, we live off your word. So feed us this morning. Speak to us this morning. Thank you that we have the the freedom to gather here, learn from you, hear from you, and grow. Just as we sang just a minute ago, I want you to make that your prayer right now. Just, Just right now, say, Open the eyes of my heart, because God, I want to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. Yeah, yeah, your hands can can worship too. So uh, this past weekend, we started a brand new series. As you can see right behind me, this word, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. And it's a book in the Bible written by Nehemiah, and it's about the story of a man, a kingdom man named Nehemiah, who really God used to do a great thing and to restore a city. And I set the tone and the context for the book of Nehemiah because context is key, and an introduction helps us know why and how this book got there. And so in the first four verses of Nehemiah, you learn a few things. Here's a couple of things you learn. You learn that at this point in the part of history, and in Israel, the the city of Jerusalem had been torn down, that people from the place that God had established, his his grounds had been exiled out of Israel and out of Jerusalem, and now they're all around, and we see different armies invade, armies like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians begin to take over ground that God had promised. And then a king was raised up named King Cyrus, the Persian king, who then set this decree in order that all the people that were once exiled from their homeland are able to now go back freely. There was a priest by the name of Ezra and a man of God by the name of Zerubbabel. I love saying that. I don't know why I had to say it with that emphasis. Zerubbabel. Um, But Zerubbabel and Ezra begin to lead the people of Israel back to their homes. And then there's this report that's given to Nehemiah, this man of God. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest, he, he was a man, he was a businessman. He was a facilitator, he was an administrator, he was a leader. He, in this case, was the cupbearer to the king. So he worked for a king named Artaxerxes and that he would taste the wine before it was passed to Artaxerxes and that's a tough role to play, amen? That's a risky sip. <laughs> but this was the role that God had placed Nehemiah in, and how many of you know there's power in your placement? Where God has placed you is not by accident, but it's on purpose. And Nehemiah realized that, and he said, hey, while God has me here, I'm going to be all here, and I'm going to stay. And that was the story of Nehemiah. We think there's power in our placement here at Schofield right now, amen? We're grateful to be a part of this school family. We believe that God is doing something great. Nehemiah was at that moment in his life, and then one day he saw some friends come and visit him, Hanani and some other brothers from Judea. 
They came and pulled up on him and they said, hey, Nehemiah, we came to see you. And Nehemiah said, well, how's things going? Are the exiles, are the brothers and sisters doing well back home? I know they were allowed to come back. What's going on? Give me an update. I want to know. And they said, it's not good. The city has been broken down. The gates have been set on fire. The wall that we built has been broken and the city is in great trouble. Tragedy had strike. There was a pandemic in Israel. A troubling time, a troubling day. And what I really want to point out to our attention is, what is the right response when tragedy strikes? What's the right, right way to respond when the days are defined by trouble? I want to preach a message to you today that I'm titling, Prayers and Promises. Prayers and Promises. As we get ready to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, we get... We get some inside vision into the prayers and promises that we find in Nehemiah's prayer. Look at verse four with me before we jump there. Verse four teaches us this. As soon as I, Nehemiah, heard these words, says he sat down and wept because there's power in grieving. Just wanna put that out there really quick. You don't have to rush so quick past pain. It's okay to take a moment and sit down, amen? There's power in that. And he mourned. There's power in mourning. But don't just sit in your mourning. Do something with your mourning. Take it to God. It says he began fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The thing that I realized about Nehemiah is that he lived out the first core value here at Walk Church. Does anybody know the first core value of Walk Church? Uh, I, hear some, I hear some murmuring. That's when you're like not really confident in the answer, so you're like, Maybe. <laughs> This is kind of embarrassing. we got to go over our core values more often. The first core value at Walk Church is this. Pastor Mike, you don't count, man. <laughs> Let me give it to you on the screen. It's God dependence. I love that when Nehemiah felt tragedy hit his life, he didn't get less God dependent. He got more God dependent. The word dependent means to rely on someone or something. The word dependent means, okay, I'm going to put my weight on this thing. I'm dependent on it. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when tragedy and trial and hardship strikes, the devil loves to whisper, go away from God. Don't go to God. Maybe you should like go to McDonald's and get a shake. Not that I'm against McDonald's and shakes, but I realized the comfort, the, the truth, the refuge, the healing, the provider that we need is God in the times of trouble, not somebody or something else. Church, here's what I think I, I would submit to you today this. What we as a church, what we as a city, what we as a nation and a world need more than ever is a new dose of God dependence. Come on, does anybody just agree with that? The word, the word amen means I agree. You can say amen. I think God dependence is the key. I think if we as a nation can just be more God dependent, We'll experience more of God in everything that we do, say, think, go. We need that, and I love that Nehemiah modeled that. He said, my problems are turning into prayers. And when you can get to that posture, you invite God into your problems. I would say if your problems haven't turned to prayers, they might just be complaints. Here's how Rick Warren says it. He says, if it's not worth praying about, it's not worth worrying about. Amen? Amen. 
So I want to encourage you to do what Nehemiah did here and take your burden to the Lord. Become more God-dependent. Nehemiah 1 verse 5. I love this verse that I'm about to show you up on the screen. We're just going to study one verse. And what I'd like for us to do is just bring an exposition, a breakdown. Let's put this prayer, this first part of his prayer, under the microscope. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to examine the prayer Nehemiah prayed. I think it's so cool that God would allow us to peer into the, the prayer Nehemiah prayed when he found out all this trouble had hit his homeland. I think there's something we can learn from it. Here's Nehemiah's prayer. He's mourning, he's weeping, he's fasting, and here's what he prays. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The first thing that I learned about this prayer is that Nehemiah is praying a God-centered prayer. For my note takers in the room, write this down. God-centered prayers. Did you know this, that there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray? That not all praying is is as effective? Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew chapters five through seven, he says, when you pray, pray like this. And when you pray, don't pray like that. That there's a way to do it right and to do it wrong. I think the first right way to pray is to pray God-centered prayers, amen? Can I ask you a challenging question? All right, Jaffer, let me talk to you. Can I I ask anybody over here a challenging question? In the center, type it in the chat online. Can I ask you a challenging question? Are your prayers more God-centered or me-centered? When you pray, is the content of your prayers more, God, bless me, help me, I need, do you see me? Or does your prayers, are your prayers bathed in the center of God? The focus of God. Look at the part of Nehemiah's prayer. I'll just highlight this first part. He says, here's where I started. Oh, Lord. Anybody ever just pray, oh, Lord, prayers? Don't miss the O. The O to me signifies desperation. You ever just said, oh. That's that that side, that, oh, I'm desperate, God. He doesn't just say, Lord, God. He doesn't just rush straight to him or the struggle or the trial. He says, oh, all caps, L-O-R-D, oh, Yahweh, I'm dependent on you. Oh, Lord, God of heaven. Nehemiah starts to shape his theology of God in his prayer. If you ever want to know what somebody believes about God, listen to how they pray. Listen to the words they use. Listen to how they describe God. If your prayers have little God, you have little faith. If your prayers have much God, you must believe much about him. Nehemiah says, oh, Lord, God of heaven. Come on, how many of you know that heaven's really big? I mean, God is the God of heaven. I think it's good to start your prayers that way. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. The disciples once said, when they said, Jesus, you're always praying. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray like this. Oh, Lord, who lives in heaven. King James was, oh, Lord, who art in heaven. <laughs> Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart your name. God center. Oh, Lord, God of heaven. I, I was recently 
with my son Epaf, who's six years old, and he was getting ready to go to sleep, and he's starting to ask all these random questions. And he's getting ready to go to sleep the other night, and he goes, hey, Dad, quick question. I said, yeah. And he goes, you know there's the sky, right? And there's like the, the sun, and there's like the moon, and there's like stars. He goes, what's on top of the sky? What, like, like, can you go further than the sky? And the best, most creative thing that came to me in the moment was like, that's where God lives. Right. Above that. Like, it's so vast and beyond our own understanding and imagination in the heavenly realm that God inhabits the heavenly realm and is yet so big and close he's here right now. This is the God we believe in, the God of heaven and the God of me and you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, three messed up dudes, three different generations. God says, I'm there. I'm in all three. The God of heaven. And then he goes, and not only God, are you the God of heaven, but God, you're great. How many of you know God is great? Amen. Like, I love that, that Nehemiah, he's informing his prayers Oh, Lord, God of heaven, did I tell you how great you are? Can I just go ahead and submit to you today that the original goat is God himself. The capital G goat, the greatest of all time. Now, lowercase g, like my man Super J. He's got the Michael Jordan goat jersey on right there. I like it, bro. I'll argue with y'all after, okay? But listen, lowercase g, capital G goat, God, God is great and greatly to be praised. Amen? He's worthy. He's great. Not only is he great, but he's awesome. Amen? God-centered prayers. God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, you're the God of heaven. When you begin to pray God-centered prayers, your world begins to get smaller. Your problems begin to just be less of a problem in the hands of an almighty God. A big God theology for our prayers will help inform what we see, how we live, how we think, how we feel. You might start praying a big God prayer, and you might not even get to your problems. You might say, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, you are mighty, you are holy, you're our provider, I'm good. I don't even need to finish the prayer. Like I was, I was going to ask you about a bunch of stuff, but you know what? I just realized you're in control. Now, I'm for asking. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. He even encourages us to ask and knock and seek and pray. We should do that, but, but never before we pray God-centered prayers. I love that we see Nehemiah inviting the God of heaven into his space. Can I encourage you to do that? Can I just encourage you not just to pray God-centered prayers, to pray God-centered prayers. Pray God-centered prayers to invite God into your mess. Like, here's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, okay, here I am. I'm a, I'm a feeble man who's in a far distant land. I'm not even in Israel right now. I have no plans. I want to keep my job. I'm not trying to mess up King Cyrus right now, but here's what I can do. I can ask God to do it. <laughs> the power of intercession. 
here's what I know. I know that right now at this moment, I'm not in Afghanistan, but I know I can bring my prayers there. Amen. I know that, come on, amen. I know that right now, I'm not personally and physically allowed to go in Tim Deep's hospital room. Nobody is, but I know my prayers can enter in. Your prayers can get you access into any atmosphere because God's able to go, amen? Because God has the key. God is big enough to enter in. And so that's why Nehemiah says, okay, God, you're the God of heaven. You're great. You're awesome. I need you to go do this and rebuild this wall. And and, and friends, here's what I want to submit to you today. I know we're talking a lot about prayer, but I don't think we talk enough about it. In fact, I don't think we pray enough about it. There's something so mysterious. Can I just say this? I don't fully understand it. I'm still learning myself. There's something so mysterious about prayer. I don't know why God would choose to limit his activity to the prayers of me and you. But he does. I think praying a God-centered prayer could potentially move God into action that may not have happened if you didn't pray about it. Now, this might mess with your theology a little bit, but let me just go ahead and remind you. First off, let me disclaimer. I am in a a total belief and confidence in God's sovereignty, goodness. He knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. He knows what's gonna happen right now. He knows your thoughts before you had them. He is with us, he's for us, and he's big. All right, I'm I'm there. I don't believe God ever has a uh uh-oh moment. I don't think he's ever surprised. I, I I don't think he's ever not there or not in control. But let me go ahead and share something with you from the Bible because you all know I'm a Bible guy. And so should you. You should be a Bible guy or a Bible girl. That kind of sounds weird. (laughs) I'm a Bible guy. Look, there's places in the scripture, for example, Abraham in the book of Genesis, where there's a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. City has given way to all types of sin, pridefulness, greed, gluttony, sexual sin, perversion. There's all types of mess happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, hey, check this out. You may want to get out of there because I'm going to blow it up. And you know what Abraham says back? Here's what he doesn't say. I know, God, blow those sinners up. Get them out of there. I don't like those Sodom and Gomorrahites anyway. Sinners. That's what a lot of church folks sound like. Here's what Abraham says. Abraham says, well, hold on a second, God. (laughs) Because, God, you're a compassionate God. You are a loving God. Abraham starts to pray a God-centered prayer back to God. God, you're compassionate, loving, and holy. If you just blow it up, all of our enemies might not see your compassion. So what if there's just one righteous Would you spare him? What if there's 10 righteous? What if there's, and God has a conversation with Abe and says, all right, Abraham, if there's 10 righteous, I won't do it. Ultimately, God surveys the land. There's no righteous people in that mug. (laughs) There's a big explosion. Abraham had a heart for his relative, Lot. He was trying to get him out. He had a heart for people. Pray for people. Go, Go to God on behalf of people. Don't just tell people about God. Tell God about people. Go to God and say, God, I'm broken over this person. I'm broken over my wife. I'm broken over my husband. I'm broken over my kids. God, I need you to 
intervene, tag him into the ring. God, I need your help. And God says, that's what I'm talking about. He loves God-centered prayers. God, you're great. God, you're awesome. It's important to invite God into your world because he's big enough. He's good enough. I read this quote recently by theologian named George MacDonald. And George MacDonald says, In whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. (laughs) If you don't invite God in, it's a good chance you'll fail miserably. But in the case that you succeed, you might think you did something, which is an even more miserably fail. (laughs) Invite him in. The best way to invite God in is by asking him, by praying. Oswald Chambers, in his great devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Sometimes we think, okay, there's all types of issue. I got problems in my life. There's problems outside of my life. There's problems in my family. We're struggling. The city's torn down. We're in a pandemic. I got to pray so I can be ready for the work. And I love what Chambers is saying. He goes, no, no, prayer is the work. You can actually do more kingdom work in five minutes of prayer than in five hours of your own work. If you really believe in God, amen? And pray God-centered, God-focused, God-saturated prayers. You're like, man, you're talking a lot about prayer. I am because I'm, I'm nervous that you guys are gonna leave and not do anything. Because statistically, the church is not praying anymore. Leonard Ravenhill says the church is not praying, the church is playing. Right? And so we, our attention spans are so limited, our prayers are so robotic, we, we sound more like superstitious, you know, we just, we just repeat these chants and mantras and we don't even talk to God. And I just wanna challenge you to start your day in prayer. Start your day in the word, God dependence. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It takes discipline, it takes intentionality, it takes an alarm clock, it takes maybe some morning glory coffee, amen? Right, it, it, take, it takes whatever you need. <laughs> Come on, right? It takes whatever you need to do it, just do it. Get with God, I think if you win the morning, you'll win the day. If you lose the morning, you might lose the day. It, you, you, it might never ever come back. You might just get off and roll in and, and life settles in and, and God wanted to minister something to you. So I, I'm spending time on God-centered prayer because I really think it's gonna help you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to do it if it wouldn't help you. I think it helped Nehemiah. But let me give you the, the next sequence in the scripture. It says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. I love this right here. This great and awesome God keeps his promises, amen? Amen. Here's the thing that I realized. You need God-centered prayers and then you need God-made promises. First off, did you know that God made promises to you? Come on, everybody just do this real quick. That's just a, a posture that says, I'm ready to receive. God made you promises. Receive them, amen? Yes. It's hard to receive something you don't know. You gotta get to know the promises of God so you can receive them because a lot of the promises of God are available for us today. There's a lot that are available in eternity, but 
I want to share some with you today. The promises of God are helpful in the prayers of his people. Let me give you a reality statement. Write this down if you're taking notes. Praying God-centered prayers reminds us of God's faithful promises. When you are intentional to pray God-centered prayers, what will happen is you'll start to remember God's promises, God's steadfast love, God's faithful covenant, that God has promises for you to receive. God has promises for you to carry. God has promises that will help your soul if you remember these promises well. God-centered prayers, they lead to this. Let me give you the second reality statement. Go ahead and write this down. God-made promises are always better than man-made promises. Amen? Can anybody just come into agreement on that? I've found and I've realized that the God-made promises are so much better than man-made promises. That we need to receive the God-made promises for our lives and begin to walk in them I just began to think about all the God-made promises, and I realized, you know what? God's promises are faithful. I, re- I realized that God's promises are true. God's promises are firm. God's promises are, are, are trustworthy, amen? God's promises are reliable. God's promises are consistent. God's promises are powerful. God's promises are available for his church. Now, I think about God's promises and I say, I need that. I want that. I want to lean into that. But then when I think about man-made promises, here's the words that come to my mind. Unreliable. Unpredictable. Inconsistent. Shaky. Shaky. Not sure. God-made promises are always better than man-made promises. So here's what I want to say toward that. Toward that, here's what I want to give you. Stop putting so much energy on man-made promises that are probably going to let you down. Fair? Instead, transfer that big energy to the God-made promises that are always going to hold you up. The God-made promises are going to influence your prayers to the point that I think you'll be confident that he's going to do everything that he said. I want to encourage you today. I want to set you free to pray God-centered prayers and be reminded of God-made promises. This is Nehemiah. This is where he's at in this prayer moment because he knows the task ahead of him is too grand, it's too big, it's too weighty. He needs a God-size prayer. Can I just give you a few promises to maybe just put in your tool belt or, I'm sorry, maybe you actually put them in your heart. Because the heart is the wellspring of life and it determines what we do, where we go, what we say. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the mind thinks. I want to put some promises of God in your heart. Can we do it? Yeah. Hey, just go ahead and just metaphorically open up your heart. Is it open? Yeah. Like, like, like Popeye, put some spinach in there? Yeah, I don't know Popeye. Let me give you some promises that we're going to stuff into our heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Great verse to memorize. Here's what it says. And we know. Come on, say it with me. Say, we know. 
Come on, scream it. Say, we know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, can I just give you a word today? You're called according to his purpose. Here's a promise. God has a purpose for your life. God has a great plan for your life. He has a calling on your life. You may not know, you may have not received it, or you may have walked away from it, but it doesn't make it less true. God has purpose for you. And because of that, he's gonna work everything for your good if you love him. Nehemiah knows this. He goes, you know what? I love God. This whole thing is gonna work together for my good. Let me go ahead and talk to the great and awesome God who's somehow working it together. I was uh, preaching at a conference yesterday and uh, was there with my good friend, Pastor Josh Carter, and we were talking to somebody and this brother was just sharing with us how he's in a hard season. He's a pastor and he's not sure how things are gonna work and Josh said, hey, let me just share something with you. Remember Romans 8.28, that God is working these things together still for your good. Can I just encourage you? Let's start to greet people with the promise. I mean, just find somebody. Nick, I just want to encourage you right now. God is for you and not against you. Yeah. Amen? Like, I just need to hear that sometimes. Like, like Je- everywhere you go, he is with you. Right? Like, God is going to work your situation out, Chef Vince, for your good. Amen? I just believe it. I think that we got we to gotta show up and encourage people with a promise. I was just talking to my sister Joy about Charlotte Hill Elementary School. I believe that God's working together things for your good at that school. I'm I'm believing for that. Amen? I'm excited for that. We know it. You got to know it. You got to know that you know that he's doing. That's a promise, okay? Let me give you another promise. Matthew 28, verse 20. The last statement from King Jesus As he closes out the book of Matthew, here's what he says. Behold, everybody say, behold. Behold, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's a promise. That that, that is a promise. You know, my kids are are small, six, three, two, and on the way. (laughs) Counting months. um, But especially my two and three-year-olds, They'll still, when we go to certain places, they're like, I'm not going unless you go with me. Like, even sometimes on the school drop-off, like, can you just come with me? There's something about when you trust somebody and love somebody, when they go with you, you just feel more confident. Amen? You just feel like there's really nothing you can't do. That should be us with God. Why? Because we have a promise from God. Behold, Jesus is commissioning the 12 disciples. Jesus, looking at the disciples on the mountain, he just died, he just rose. They're like, whoa. Holes in the hands. And Jesus says, okay, here's the game plan. You're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. You're gonna run this play. Go make disciples of all the nations. And I'm sure they were like, what? And he goes, behold, I'll be with you. The promise for the eternal call of disciple making is that Jesus goes with us. That he's like, when you're discipling, when you're doing that, you're not doing it by yourself. I'm tasking my Holy Spirit to be with you. That should give us confidence. Come on, we're not at the end of the age yet. We might be getting closer, amen? 
while we're still in this age that's full of tornadoes and earthquakes and pandemics and pestilence and struggles and political and all, all social media and all types of stuff, man, we need Jesus to be with us. Praise God for that promise. Let me give you another promise. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Matthew 6, verse 33. Keep these promises close. Will you read it off the screen with me? Ready? Go. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need, bruh. Amen. I don't know where that bruh came from. Sis, right? He will give you everything you need. I want to encourage you. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing as an individual at seeking the kingdom of God above everything else? We, we live in a monarch. We live in a, a kingdom that has a king. For, if, you're a Christ, if you're a Christian today, hear me. You have a dual citizenship. Yes, you're an American citizen, but before you're an American citizen, you're a kingdom citizen. And the kingdom is led by King Jesus. And we have to start thinking kingdom. We, we need kingdom men. We need kingdom women. We need kingdom students. We need kingdom athletes. We need kingdom bankers. We need kingdom fashion designers. We need kingdom techies. We need computer kingdom teachers. Come on. We need, we need kingdom leaders that seek the kingdom above all else. How do you seek the kingdom? Hey, king, what do you want to do? King, you're the king of the kingdom. You're the king of my life. Let's think kingdom, amen? Check this out. I, I recently did a little bit of a study on this. Do you know how many times Jesus talked about the church in the Bible? It's like two or three times. Where Jesus, specifically in the Gospels, mentions the word church. Two, maybe three. Do you know how many times he talks about the kingdom? Over 100. Jesus is focused on his kingdom. Are we? I thought about this. I was convicted by it. Maybe you have an iPhone. I can't tell you much about the Androids. No offense. <laughs> but, you know, the iPhone will give you that, that little convicting update if you look for it. And it will say, like, this percentage of time was spent on Instagram. This percentage of time was spent on texting. This percentage of time was just screen time in general. This percentage of time was spent on Facebook, text message, email. You get to see how you're really dividing up your time on your phone. I wonder if King Jesus were to do an inventory on your life, how much percentage would come on seeking the kingdom of God? I wonder if you're like, man, okay, you seek this a lot. You seek attention like 80%. Right, you seek money, you, you work, it's good. You, you seek likes, you seek coffee, you seek, <laughs> I don't know, you seek Jordans. I know, I struggle with it, right? Like, I'm just thinking about myself. You, you, what, are you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And I wonder how much percentage would go to seeking the kingdom of God. No wonder you feel like you don't have what you need. Jesus says, if you seek the kingdom of God, and live righteously, because I've realized when I'm seeking God's kingdom, my lifestyle follows. When I have a kingdom-seeking life, I can't help but to live righteously because my king is informing the way I live, amen? Right? And when, I, when I'm living the way the king calls me to live, I got everything I need. It just seems to follow me.
I don't have to go chase favor. Favor will chase me because I'm living a kingdom life, because I'm walking in the right ways. What does it mean to live righteous? It means do the right thing the right way at the right time with the, with the right God, <laughs> Jesus. That's a promise. Jesus, you've made me a promise you're going to give me everything I need. I need to hear that. Amen? I don't know if you do, but let me give you another one. John chapter 10, verse 10 is another powerful verse that we need to have in our heart. Sometimes the promises aren't popular. Here's a, here's a, here's a tough one. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Hear me. In your, if you really start to live this faith out, walk kingdom, you really start to do it, there's a thief that wants to destroy your life, kill your life, steal your life. If somebody says, hey, the Christian life, then that's easy. I would challenge them on that because it's not easy to have someone always trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. <laughs> Worth it, absolutely. Powerful, 100%. Action-packed, full of joy, for sure, but challenging. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here's a promise from God. He wants you to have life and an abundant life of that. Now, how you describe abundant, I'm sorry, how God describes abundant is up to God. Because if you have an abundance of family and friends and not an abundance of money, you're still rich. Right? You know, hey, praise God. Abundance could look different for each individual. I'm not necessarily defining abundance, but praise God for the promise is what I'm saying. Let me give you another challenging promise. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, in fact. Come on, somebody say, this is facts. facts. Tell the person next to you, say, oh, this is facts. Let me give you the facts. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise. It's not a popular promise. It's not a promise that we really want to put in our hearts, but we have to have it in our hearts because when the persecution comes, you got to already know it was coming anyway. You got, you got it. There's one, of the, one of the most depressing scriptures in the Bible is when Jesus talks about the parables. He says, this parable of the seeds. He says, the seeds is the gospel, the word of God. It gets scattered everywhere. On some, it lands on good soil, grows up, and you see a harvest. On others, it lands on rocky soil, and then the disciples were smart enough to say, what does the rocky soil mean? And Jesus goes, the rocky soil is the persecution. So the seed begins to grow, the persecution comes, and the seed gets choked out. Can I just tell you, the persecution is gonna come if you really try to live this life. Worship through it. Pray through it. Trust God through it. Meet your persecution with a promise from God. Take a promise from God and apply it to the persecution and say, the persecution may come from the enemy. Persecution may come from your own flesh. Even when our hearts condemn us, God's greater than your heart. It may come from the people around you. It may come from your work. It may come from your family. Whatever that may look like, keep a promise near. Amen? Let me give you last one, last promise. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 and 31. I recently gave this promise to somebody in a prayer meeting. I love this. Promise moment. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Right, like I love how 
Isaiah's like, even the youths, like I was talking about my son Epaph, who's six, like he had to give up nap time. He was just too wound up, right? We were trying to make it last as long as we could. He's like, I got so much energy, but even youths will faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but here's the promise. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, that's a promise. Anybody else need to just catch that? Isaiah 40, inside. Guide me. The promises of God direct my steps. Speak those over your life. The last point, and Vashon, you can come on up and we'll get ready to close right now. I wanna go ahead and finish this first part of Nehemiah's prayer. If we can put verse five back up. Here's how Nehemiah prayed. He prayed a God-centered prayer. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He prayed a God-promised prayer. God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Here it goes, here's our part. With those who love him and keep his commandments. We talked about God-centered prayers. We talked about God made promises. This third point that I wanna talk about is man's right response. How, how should we respond to the promises and faithfulness of God? What, I believe that should call for a response, amen? Like we can't just say, okay, all those promises and then we just walk out and go on with our lives. No, it should move us to a response. And I believe the response is quite key. Look at verse five. It says, here's the right response. To love him and obey him. The right response to the promises of God is always to love God and to obey God. But here's the good news. We love, do you know the verse? Because he loved us first. First John chapter four, verse 19. Someone wanted to clap about it. Another promise, another word. We love because he first loved us. Let me break it down to you in more of a reality statement. If you wanna write this down. Let me put this up on the screen. We don't obey God to earn his love. We obey God because we're already loved. Oh man, when I, when I finally understood this, it set me free. Every other religion, you know, I studied world religions in college. Every other religion has this framework. Check this box, do these sacraments, make this pilgrimage, work really hard, give this much amount, stay away from this, don't do that, cover up this, cover up that, and then maybe God will love you. The difference in Christianity is, is that while we were yet sinners, while we were none of those things, while we were broken, burdened on a highway to hell, God said, I love you. Amen, come on, Anthony, I'm talking to you, bro. Like you, you're, you're, track, you're leaning in right now. I, look, God says, while you were that person, I loved you. And when you finally realize that, the right response is to say, I love you back. The right response to the love of God is the love of you. So don't give your love to a person only. Come on. Give, you give your big love to God. Right? God says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your mind. Love God with your thoughts. Amen. Love God with all your heart. <laughs> love God with all the feels. Amen. 
Like, love God with all your might. Come on, where's my weightlifters in the room? Love God with, hey, he, Jesus doesn't miss a moment, doesn't he? Mind, heart, soul, strength. We don't obey God to earn his love. We obey God because we're already loved. I want to encourage you with the gospel that obedience is it's really just the, the fruit of love. Here's how the ESV study Bible says it. Obedience is the proper response to God's love, not the precondition of it. It's not like, okay, I got to obey, obey, obey because I got to earn it. You can't earn it. Jesus was on the cross and he said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. This is a love that goes beyond. I read this verse earlier, actually today, and it, it spoke to me in such a way that I was challenged by the language of it and I didn't know if it was true in my life. It's a, a scripture from Psalm 63. Here's what David says. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I had to ask the question, Manu, is the love of God better than my own life? David got to this point where he said, God, your love is better than life. That's a heavenly mindset. That's a kingdom mindset. He goes, the right response to that is glory. Amen. When you think about the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the love of God, hopefully our response would be the worship of God the lifestyle that says, God, you're enough. I trust you. You're big. You're good. You're going to meet all my needs. All the promises are true. Let's do this. This is what helped Nehemiah do the miraculous things he did. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're good. You're faithful. God, you're true. All your promises are true. You're with us, you're for us, you're not against us. We're more than a conqueror in Christ. And so right now I just wanna pray for our church family, for those online and those in person. And God, I just wanna ask that if somebody needs to get saved today, they would do it. If somebody needs to surrender their life to you, I pray that today they would do it. If somebody just needs to say, okay God, less of me, more of you, pray they would do it. If somebody right now needs to give all their sin to you, God, I pray they do it. That right now, you can say, Jesus, take all my sin away. Forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my present. God, I even claim your future forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. And God, I believe you're coming again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, you're great. God, you're awesome. And God, you keep your promises. We love you. And I pray now as we respond, you would be pleased with the worship. Right now, if you just made a decision to receive Jesus, heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just lift your hand? If today you said, you know what, I can't keep fighting on my own, I gotta surrender. I see those who are making decisions right this moment.
God, I just want to pray for everybody making a decision. God, everybody who put their hand up, give them a huge high five. No, lock up arms with them, God. I pray that you would, you would grab their hand right now, God, and say, let's walk together. You're no longer alone. You're a child of the King. Welcome to the family of God. Let's do this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cover their heart in your love for all their days. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wow.